All right. How is it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to have on the show Hamza Zia, who is the founder and CEO of Get Start. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I'm really excited to learn more about Get Start and hear more about your vision. Uh, so uh, to to get started, I'd love to hear um, hear about kind of for people that don't know what Get Start is. Uh, what are you working on? Mm -hmm. So Get Start is a platform where companies can find really good talent that performs really well on real coding tasks. So we allow companies to submit coding tasks from the existing projects, and we build up a hiring funnel, get those devs to ramp up on those tasks, perform really well, and the best performing tasks get fun get final interviews for them to join them full time. For developers, we have a platform where developers can come in and earn money while doing these coding tasks within our platform, improve. And for them, we kind of have built something like a coding bootcamp, but rather than learning how to code, we help them become mid to senior level devs. And when they're ready, we, they get job offers from our customers. So that's a good start. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And just from everything that you just said, it kind of feel, looks and feels like a pretty new type of model and pretty innovative mm -hmm. model. So I want to dive into some of the details. So let's start with the fact that you help, like you're kind of like a coding bootcamp, but, mm -hmm. you're, like, but you're also kind of a placement company. Can you kind of like go a little in depth on what you say the category that you're in? And also a little bit of like mm -hmm. how it works. Like how let's start on the on the company side. So if I'm a company, mm -hmm. I want to hire developers. Is there just like a is it like an like a search where I can search for one or like how does it work? Mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. So so we so I really believe in the philosophy that for for whenever you want to hire devs, CVs are a terrible way to see how good or bad devs are. And what most companies tend to do is that when you're a really senior dev, then it's very obvious. When you're a junior dev, it's obvious. For for the middle ground, there's no really a good way to see where you fall in between. And what most companies generally do is they have a hack hour or a hack week um, in some cases where they will get the dev to perform a problem within an hour or for remote teams, they generally get to contract the devs for a few days just to see how they perform. Um, and that idea came from that notion that companies want devs to perform and see their performance on real tasks. And we were like, okay, what if you build a platform where you as a company can sign up, you can plug in your, code, your one part of your code and plug in some tasks our system will start getting those tasks done and our bot will start submitting code. You can review the code and accept the code that works and pay for those coding tasks. Over time, behind the scenes, we will ramp up tens and hundreds of devs to perform those tasks, sometimes in parallel, in duplicate, see which will perform better. And the one who consistently perform good over a few weeks or even a couple of months, get recommended to you for final interview where you can jump in and see what code they wrote. Um, and, and, and sort of figure out whether you want to hire them full time or not. That's so interesting. So it almost sounds like a, would you call it almost a competition of, for the developers writing, like exactly. you write the best code to get to mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like a, it's like a mini internship that you're designing and that internship is running across the year where developers are coming in, they're sort of working on, on, on your project. We take care of, we get developers to review each other's code. So they take care of quality. We make sure only the good quality code comes to you. And over time, we sort of build this funnel where every week you're getting candidates that we think are a good fit to be hired full-time because they performed well on the coding tasks that are already shipped in your app. So in a way, when you interview them, 
they're already onboarded on your code, they know your code already, and they've already shipped a feature that is working well in production, and then you can decide whether they're a good fit or not to handle that. Yeah, that's awesome. Let's kind of move over to the to the developer side. So let's say I'm a developer. Let's say I'm mm -hmm. let's say I'm good, not great, right? I guess like mm -hmm. I, I let's say I've been mm -hmm. for a couple of years. Um, so I come on to Git Start and uh, I kind of sign up, and then I'm given a coding challenges that I complete, and then it's also kind of an education realm. Can you kind mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. explain more? So there is so two aspects. We you you have to first perform some coding challenges as our initial hack week. Once you do a few well, then you will start to be paid for those coding tasks. So you will ramp up on a few repositories that will give you selected access to. You'll start working on those tasks. If you do those tasks successfully, it will pay you money. Like there'll be real dollars given for every coding task you complete and there'll be real coding tasks on real apps from our customers. So your code will go to production. It's not just a dummy task that we'll give out. Once you're getting the habit of doing these coding tasks, if you perform well, then we will within a few weeks give you like a base stripend. We're like, okay, we know you're good, but what if you come on our, on our platform full-time, we'll pay you a base stripend. And over the next four to five months, you're pretty confident that we can get your full-time job. So you come on board full-time, you sort of work remotely on your computer, you do this code, more and more of these coding tasks. We also get to review other developers' code. So once you come full-time on our platform, you will get, earn money for doing coding tasks, but you also earn money for reviewing other people's code. And the education aspect is really the reviews, where other developers are checking your code, reviewing your code, and giving you feedback. And you're also giving those reviews to other developers within the platform. The code that gets good reviews from at least a few devs goes straight to our customers for final review and goes to production when they accept the code. That's so interesting. And that, that's, that's something I've never heard before in that you, you have these developers on your platform submitting their code, and then it's getting mm -hmm. reviewed, and it's, it's, you, get, you get rewarded for reviewing other... Yes. It almost sounds like, um, excuse me for going down this route, but it, like, it literally mm -hmm. sounds just like this. But it almost sounds like, like almost like a a non blockchain blockchain, where you have like <laughs> validating other node. Like, I feel like there's some some potential for blockchain stuff in the future, which I think is kind of interesting. Do you think about that at all, or is that way is that way? Well, so I think we we, we do we do, do want to build this credibility where I think we have sort of our one of our mission is to be able to. Uh, make it more visible on where in the learning stage the dev stands and having more transparency helps both the companies sort of figure out what kind of devs are, are a really good fit for them and also for devs to figure out like many times if you get overhired where if a dev is not as good but they get too hired in a role where the role is too demanding that can be hurtful for the dev as well so we want to bring more transparency into where the developer stands and which role is a really good fit for them to go to the next level yeah that makes sense and would you say that Git Start is somewhat similar to an agency to customers, almost like a agency that's contra like a contract to hire type thing? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. how how do you compare it to something like that? So, so right now there are really two. So, so the, in agency world, there's really two sort of buckets. One are agency that do full sort of projects, and the agency that give you just staff that you manage yourself. The problem with both is that in projects, it doesn't work well with your team. So if you generally, when you use an agency, you don't give them projects because you want to have full control over the project. They, people generally go for the latter route where they will get some staff, try them in their team. The problem with getting this staff from an agency is that you have to manage them yourself. There's an onboarding course that you have to do. You have to sort of, the team gets to know them, but suddenly a few weeks later, they go away if they don't go good. With our platform, we abstract all of that away where from the customer you get to see a bot, we take care of the management hassle and everything and we're flipping the devs around 
figuring out which developer is a good fit. And the more we find a good fit, we'll see how they perform over, over a few weeks to confirm that they're consistently good. And then you get to interview them at the end. So it is, it does fulfill, it can fulfill the need of an agency, but we feel like the customers who want to use an agency never come to us. And our customers will never go to an agency. Like we are the, we, if, they, if, if, they, if, they, if they don't get to work with us, they will just hire somebody for that. Right. I'll be honest, it sounds kind of genius. It's a pretty cool idea. <laughs> and I'm curious, how did you get the idea and, and uh, where did the inspiration for Get Start come from? So, I, so I've been a remote developer myself over the last um, even 10 years by now. Um, and, and one of the issues that you have as a remote developer is that your CV means even less. Like in the US or other countries where you have decent universities or you have decent companies, when you come from Asia or from Hong Kong or other places, People don't know what companies you worked at. Even if they're baddest companies within those countries, you have very little credibility. And because there's a talent drain where the best talent has gone to the US, um, it, it literally you're, you're in a flood of other developers where many of the developers in Asia tend to be, there's, a, there's very huge quality variance where all the CVs look very similar. It's really hard to stand out. And the normal recruitment process breaks down really fast when you hire remote there, especially in Asia. And, and the goal was, okay, given that scale problem, how can we figure out a way where we can take all that signal noise ratio and improve the signal or not and reduce the noise? And, and yeah, so that's where it started from. So I was working with a remote company called Rainforest QA. And we had engineers across the world. It was a fully distributed team. But we were struggling to hire remote engineers, um, especially in, in, in non-US, non-European countries. And the big reason was that it's not that we were not getting enough candidates. We were getting too many applicants, but many of those applicants were failing a basic hello world test. So the CVs would look brilliant, but we just didn't have time to go through each one of them and talk to each one, one by one. So we would automatically only look at the devs or which stand out somehow in the CV, but we just didn't have time to talk to everyone. So we're like, okay, there must be a better way where looking at the CV is not good enough, but we don't have time to talk to everyone. There must be a middle ground that we can use to qualify the devs. And that's where Get Start idea was born. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm curious, do you see this expanding uh, to other verticals like design, uh, rating, you know, you know, even mm -hmm. QA? Uh, or do you, do you want to keep it verticalized for, uh, for, for quite a while and, and tackle the developers? So I think as a company, we'll certainly keep it vertical just because the market is so huge that like it only makes sense to go horizontal once you have own a small share that you can own. And development itself is like a huge uh, place to be. So right now, even within developers, we're only focusing on JavaScript mid to senior level talent. So even in developers, we're trying to focus more. But I can certainly see this work in areas where you can break down the work in a small part and also review it independently. The problem with other verticals is that you cannot really break down structurally into smaller parts where in design, it's really hard to break down work in week to week tasks, but in coding, pretty much every company breaks down work into week long sprints anyway. So I think it can potentially work if you can break down into weekly tasks, but I've yet to see and an, a field where it's done as rigorously as software development. Absolutely. Uh, what, to your vision for Get Start, and where are you rowing to in the next decade or two? So I'm a one. So a few things that I'm pretty passionate about. Personally, I think one thing that came really well was a philosophy that we never really reject a developer in our funnel. 
they just we just give them more time to learn and come back so like many times some developers get hired within a week but some end up spending six months or longer in the platform until they're good enough to get hired so one philosophy that i want to have is that if i want to work at google it should never be a yes or no answer it should be a no but and then i could try again you you want to have this funnel where where if if a developer is persistent enough they should be able to get to where they want so i think the one change that we want to bring in developers is that like rather than getting these rejection and yeses sort of get more actionable feedback on what went wrong go learn and come back so really want to build a system where like developers can easily learn um and try again until they get to where they want so my big vision for get start is for a community for developers to come in learn grow their careers but to come back again um i've already seen a few devs where we gave them to our customer to spend a year working and they're coming back again for the second job so our goal is to be this network for 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 developers where they launch themselves from get start uh, and then when they when then they come back again learn and start learning again and then go to our customers again so the goal is to be a lifelong membership in a way that a bootcamp extends in your in your entire career until you go from a junior level dev all the way to senior architect so we want to take this education work as a local start and just spread it throughout the entire career for them which is pretty exciting for me yeah it sounds exciting that that's awesome uh, i i love uh, something that you are good at is you have obviously a very uh unique knowledge on this problem because you've been doing it for you've been in it for a couple mm-hmm. And when you when you talk about the vision, you like paint this thing that could be so big, but I also see the steps on how you could get there, which I think is is pretty cool as as a founder. Uh, so yeah, congrats on building a pretty awesome company. I, I'm I'm curious, um, outside of Git Start um, and kind of going more macro, what are some things? I'm actually going to keep it general and broad. Like what do mm-hmm. you spend, what do you spend your time thinking about? outside of get start this could be problems in the world it could be just in things that are interesting to you but i'd love to dive a little bit more inside just your brain and and learn mm-hmm. a little bit mm-hmm. more about but what you spend your mental capacity on when you're not mm-hmm. in this company so i think one area that i'm pretty passionate about is education that's something that was a heart of why even i started get start and i think right now one of the cool things that i miss was that my university was boxed at 3 to 4 years and after that it was done it was education is there's this notion that you sort of go study and then you work and you keep working and you prove yourself and you never really study again but i feel like in my whole life there's so many times when i've sort of gone to work and i've come back in learning mode again but there was nothing like the university for me to fall back on and things like community things like working in an environment all of that was missing so i feel like sooner or later education and work are going to interline a lot where rather than me going to harvard or mit or a university it'll be a lifelong membership where i'm sort of going in learning something then going back in the market sort of building out things and sort of uh, trying out different things and then coming back and resuming things again so rather than university being this one time experience i feel like it's going to break down into a lifelong membership a bit like your members like the way you have netflix membership for watching movies except you have a membership of literally physical university that you always go back and sometimes you take a six month break or year break you go back you learn something that really excites you and then you go back and try and see what fits you so i feel like work people are going there is this whole because the, the idea of work is changing so rapidly 
Um, and we have a large part of the workforce where we are disrupting what industries mean, like the driver industry is being disrupted right now with the self-driving cars. I feel like we need to build a better system to get people to be educated across the entire lifeline because maybe the work that they initially went out to do has been disrupted by something else. So I feel like education is going to morph into a subscription that will interleave very heavily with your work and people are going to come back, learn things and launch themselves again. So that's something that I believe will probably happen in the next seven to eight years. Do you see anyone working on the subscription model uh, you know, there's still tons of companies you know, like in the mm-hmm. space that are three to nine months, but uh, who's working on the subscription model of education? So I think we've figured out the problem of content. Like, as in, I can always go back and learn with online videos, but the whole idea of a community I've not seen done yet. Because there are two parts of education, right? One is just the content itself, but um, even a bigger part, arguably, is that I'm working with a few batchmates and, and so on. Yep. I, I feel like the closest thing that I've got is the YC startup school in a way where, where the cool part about the YC startup school is that you can do it again. So a lot of these entrepreneurship boot camps, you can keep doing them again. Um, and, and, and every time you get to, you get to work on a different idea in those boot camps. but I feel like something similar can happen. So I, I have not seen that happen yet, but I feel like we're already innovating with teaching people entrepreneurship in this way, where most people like learn entrepreneurship in the middle of their careers. I feel like more and more of these options will come up in the middle of the career where you can learn something like boot camps have come up for computing. I feel like these boot camps, so there will be like a meta boot camp membership where a university or this education company offers many different boot camps that you can exercise throughout your entire career um, and sort of pick one up, do something and then try something new again. So I feel like Lambda School could be something that if it scales to the point where they have a lot of different areas, they could be like, they could easily build a lifelong membership for education. That's so exciting to think about because the the whole idea of uh, you know I, I'm an alum in the Bar- of Arizona State University and mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. president uh, Michael Crow is actually building a giant uh, retirement facility for people to come who were retired to live on campus and and take classes because he's he's interested in this idea of lifelong learning and I'm intrigued to see. How that how people think about it differently as it becomes more important to keep learning, where it's not this single thing that you do for four years when you're 20 and then you're done. You know, that's that's an interesting yeah. observation. I mean, arguably, you know the least about your career when you're in your 20s. I mean, it, it's it's like boxing it in those in this time period is just it, it's just not so what we're doing right now. Yeah, I, I agree. Something that I'm curious about that I'm wondering if you have thoughts on is. You know, I think maybe a couple of months ago, I had Isaac Morehouse on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I would say, in my opinion, one of the leaders, if not the leader in the, um, like, no, you don't need a resume, like, like product hunt your own career. Like you can, you can make it happen without college or without high school, things like that. Like he's kind of like the man there. And our conversation was largely about who's going to sell the college experience where like oftentimes some of these people are doing Lambda school or boot camps or they might be doing Get Start. But what's missing, what could be missing is like the social component and getting out of your parents' house or whatever and, and, and having that experience. I'm kind of wondering like, have you spent any time thinking about that problem to solve and that if, if education is changing, who's going to replace the social side of it? 
Yeah, I think I think that's the problem we even we think every day because I've seen all the time that when developers work even a few months in a platform, the one missing puzzle is them getting the experience of a community and sort of belonging to because the, the culture aspect, as you said, is even arguably a bigger part of education more than even learning the actual skills is sort of entering a group and being a part of that sort of social experience. I, and I'll be honest, that's one area where remote breaks down entirely. Like doing anything remote at your own pace, sort of, you just cannot be the experience of physically immersing yourself with a group of people and sort of physically immersing in those tasks um, until, of course, VR and everything comes up. So I, f I feel like most companies don't have the infrastructure to be able to do that. Um, and and the infrastructure that's there is with universities and governments and institutions that have physical spaces, but then they don't, they have very little technology and they're very boxed in their own circuits. So I feel like this problem would be much easier to solve coming from physical universities if they choose to innovate. For technical companies coming in, they will have to spend a lot of infrastructure to be able to do that, which I don't see a lot of tech companies building right now. Um, now with the WeWork experience, less companies are going to go in into the physical market and try to do something out there physically, so which makes it even harder for tech companies. It's, it's very risky to be yeah. able to build it. Um, whereas the ROI may not be, it, although it's a good thing that should exist, nobody's figured out an ROI incentive to be able to get that in the market. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. And I, 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 uh, I agree. Um, what are some other predictions or thoughts that you have on the future of education you know in the next let's even let's even think big in the like the next 50 years i'd love to hear a little bit more about uh some other things that you're thinking about in the realm of education yeah so 50 is interesting so i, I, I feel like if we continue to go with the pace that we're going right now where we're pretty much reinventing what work means and if that goes on to the point where um if we get to the future, I feel like pretty much if you look at work, education is sort of this one thing where you work, you learn and you bump and you do more work and learn. I feel like education will certainly be, um, people will be learning in their lifetime more than they will be working. Just because the knowledge you have to, if you're born as a child 50 years later, you may have to learn more things than I need to learn today to be able to have the same impact. Um, just because knowledge has been built to that extent. Um, I, I, I feel like we'll certainly be spending more and more time learning um, rather than even working. Um, and if you look at that generalized concept of it, um, I feel like pretty much work will become learning, but learning on the edge of what's already learned. It's like actively researching slash learning slash building. I, I feel like work and education is going to interwine into this one play, if you can figure that out. It would interwine into this one play where we're constantly learning and disrupting the work we were doing pre-actively um, because everything else will be automated by then anyways. So I feel like the one thing that humans are still very, very good at compared to machines is sort of learning. Um, despite machine learning and everything else, I feel like learning is one experience that we, we, we have, we have in, 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 in the nature have within us that's unprecedented in the entire universe. If that is our core strength, then I feel like it will be constant learning. Um, assuming, I would, I would certainly assume that in, in, in the realms of the mode of learning, um, assuming that we can sort of get through the barriers of sort of seeing and listening and there's just something more connected, I would, 
it, 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 it's hard. I, I, I would say there will be a lot of innovation on the channels themselves on how fast we can learn. But I do feel like new types of work will come in where we will be just actively learning and building things across our lifetime yeah. in 50 um, years. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I feel, I feel that. And I, I like that a lot. I think a lot about the future of education and future of work as well. So this is fun. I want to uh, change the topic a little bit to go to kind of you as a founder and CEO. I, I'd love to learn. This is kind of like a, a, per, like a personal indulgement because like I'm curious personally, what have you mm-hmm. learned uh, since you started Get Start about starting a company and scaling a company? Like what are some of these foundations that, that you've learned and what are you looking forward to learn in the future in regards to scaling up, you know, to, to become bigger and bigger? So I think one thing I, so, so we, so personally from our background, we were a self-sustained company. Like we were already operational um, for a year on my own funds and we were sort of building it up from there. And I think one of the things that I quickly learned is that, it's very easy to settle, especially when you're a sustainable company. So there was this mode in the middle of the company where we were kind of profitable and things were going well. And then it, it, there, I had this moment where I had to rechange of what the company meant to me. Like it wasn't just something that's working, but do I really want to grow the impact in the same way that you want to grow your child or you want to grow your knowledge? Like, like this, I, I, I wasn't able to, this wasn't clear to me at the start of building a company, but I feel like you have to constantly be hungry and keep being hungry because it's very easy to settle when you're building a company in the same way that you can settle your career, you can settle your learning. So I feel like that's something that I didn't thought I would have to work on, but that's something I had to literally work on in the middle of the company that, hey, this is not good enough. We have to go to the next level. We have to expand the impact and the rich you're doing because otherwise it's a waste. Uh, if you stop somewhere in the middle, um, um, so yeah, like I, that's the, that was a new learning for me was this this need of constantly um, being more hungry to be able to take what you have and give it the potential that it deserves in a way. Where some ideas you really have to bring them to more people, just because by getting them to more people, the impact will just multiply on its own. So. That kind of leads me to the uh, the follow up question, which is, how do you know when uh, doubling down and betting and being ambitious is is too much? What I mean by that is like you can have a pizza shop that that doesn't scale at mm-hmm. all, and then you can have Uber or WeWork, which scales maybe like like maybe too big, maybe unsustainably. You know, maybe, mm-hmm. we'll see how, that mm-hmm. how do you think about uh, how big to go and how audacious to be before it's being like too audacious that you screw it all up? Yeah, so I think the growth has two aspects of it, right? The growth can certainly be that you can grow in terms of quantity, but you can always strive for quality and ramping that up. So in the same pizza shop, I've seen a lot of sort of pizza shop where I go and it's a very regular experience and the customer service is the same, but I see some of the best ones where they're constantly sort of trying different things and delight their customers even more because you, 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 you want to be able to experiment more things into it. So in, in the same sense, to decide whether to scale or not, I think it boils down to is what, how you see people, what's the relationship between them and the customer? If the relationship with them and the customer is really something that's a one-time delight, then I think that that's something you shouldn't have to scale. I mean, that's something that you can constantly give just by constantly giving it, you're helping out. But if the impact is more of a need where the need is there and you just 
fulfilling that need, then I feel like it has to go because if more people need it, then you have to give it to more people. So if, if in the pizza shop, it's more of a delight. So I feel like in delights, it's all about increasing quality. But I feel like if it's a strong need, then it's more about how many needs can I fulfill out there. Um, yeah, I like that a lot. Um, so a couple more questions for you before, before we wrap it up. So going a little more broad uh, on the still going down advice path, um, there's a lot of people listening to this podcast who are probably just enamored that you like are able to start a company and you're growing and you raised a little money onto an accelerator. Like, like they're wondering how do you do it? And uh, I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts on how does someone think about starting a company when all they have is an idea or maybe they don't even have an idea yet and they just want to start something and they don't want to know what, how would, how would you kind of tell them to, to take that first step? So I started get start when I had a job already. Like there was no, uh, I left my job and joined an accelerator or started working full time. It was literally grew as a part-time project. So I think one thing that I think you'll just have to realize is that like you, like most people have in their mind a barrier to get their idea out there. That barrier can be building an app or that barrier can be launching something or the barrier can be, I need to be part of a bootcamp to be able only to be part of an accelerator to be able to launch something. But I think many times you can, many, many things that technology can do, we humans can literally physically do. And if you can create an arbitrage, of value in the world out there. If you can just physically go and manually do it and delight someone, I think that del- just once you start doing it part time, it sort of it sort of starts owning you. If you feel like, oh, I want to do that more, like the if you if you have an idea out there, whether that's helping uh, moms connect together in the neighborhood, or whether that's sort of facilitating pizza shops to be able to um, be able to ship uh, their pizzas to their customers across the town, whatever you want to do, just physically go there and just do it manually and 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 if people are really delighted and if you're excited when they get delighted that probably will automatically give you more motivation to work on it more so i feel like most people just don't do it out there um and they have this barrier of entry and many times i've seen very few ideas where the barrier of entry is actually legit and real um, many of the ideas that I hear very regularly from people that I know, you can just physically do it. It's not scalable, of course. It may, it, it may not be, but at least you get to experience that delight to customers. And if they're delighted, it validates your idea and it motivates you to be able to do it more. So I feel like my advice would be just try to physically do it. Just stop thinking about the scale. Just like you will be able to figure out a way to delight somebody with that arbitrage of value. And if it excites you, then it's probably something that you should work more and more on. That's great advice. And I, I hope everyone that's listening takes it if they want to start a company. So my, uh, my last question for you on the pod, and thank you, by the way, for coming on. I've learned a lot. This is super insightful. But uh, I'm, I'm trying something new here, and I think, I think it could be fun in that you know people come on this podcast because – I usually like find them and I'm like, you seem interesting. You're working on a cool company. How about you come on and we can talk about what you're working on. But that's, that's very limiting to the amount of people that I can reach. Um, so what I'm going to try is, is um, to ask you and, a- and ask the guests, um, is there anyone or any place 
where that I should go to find the next Einstein or the next Steve Jobs to bring onto the podcast that uh, may not be super known yet? Is there anyone that you have in mind or a community that I should tap into to find that next person to have on the podcast? So I, th- so I think in this particular case, um, there is one person, particular person, Corentin Trabal. He's based in France. And he's somebody that um, hasn't really got any success out there yet visibly, but is somebody that I've learned a lot. And I feel like it's just a matter of time before that person sort of figures that thing out. So, so I would definitely love to like bring him aboard on the co-podcast. And one of the cool things that I've learned a lot from him is, in particular is the value of the human body and things we can do to optimally uh, sort of get it to the level where in the same way that we can get our infrastructure and machines to level up and go. So that's something I learned a lot from him. Um, in terms of, in, in general, like one sort of, the one category of people that I feel like we have, they're not very accessible, that we feel like we don't listen and talk more on, are, are, are certainly researchers who have been boxed and working on something on the side. And there are a couple of researchers that I think would be very delightful to be on the podcast. But just to bring an entirely different angle on other areas where impact may be happening, but it's generally not visible and or some attributed in the right way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I appreciate that. And I'll get those, I'll get the information of the people that you're thinking of offline. But yeah, I, I agree that researchers have very unique insights and they're maybe not seen in the same light as founders, but maybe they should be because they're doing something kind mm-hmm. of well, cool. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on to the podcast. I, 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 I'm really interested in what you're working on. I feel like it's a very innovative model and something that I think will work. If someone wanted to find uh, you online or learn more about your company, where can they find you online? Um, so they can certainly just like, like go to my Twitter and just directly message me like it's public. Um, certainly email me at hamzaidgetstar.com. Um, I always reply to my emails and I want to make sure that continues to happen throughout my career. So, so just like shoot me an email. Um, I go back and forth between us and Asia. So wherever you are, I will find and meet you. So if things go well over the email, more than happy to connect and, and help out. All right. So connect with him. If you want to chat, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I really appreciate it. I appreciate that. I'm too, pal. Thank you for having me.